Hello and welcome to episode three of What We've Learned. As ever, I'm joined by Shane. And today, we're going to get practical, Shane, aren't we? We're going to keep we are, Steve. Around how actually we've had a bit of discussion here and there, but let's 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 focus on the practical things that we can do. And I understand you've had some useful feedback from an old colleague of ours, Jenny Holmes. Yes, I think we had a shout out um, both on LinkedIn and in last week's podcast that we really want to make this as practical as possible. And she sent me um, some really interesting info, which I think for everybody is worth a shout and have a look at. And that is some of the marketing technology providers have actually reduced their prices, uh, including one HubSpot. And they've also bundled in more functionality for free so i really like that approach to sort of saying look we're going to give you more at a time when we know companies are you know finding it tough so i think that's a great one it's a smart Uh, one as well isn't it shane in terms of you know it's what you might crudely or i certainly would call the drug dealer model is get them in cheap and get them hooked it's a very practical way of giving them something that is, is is thinking about the longer term as well absolutely and particularly it's it's the functionality that people every at the moment need um it's meetings it's video so yeah i agree with you smart i didn't realize that it was called the drug dealer model (laughs) only in the part of the world that i inhabit anyway (laughs) and then um others you know mailchimp really interesting they've launched a business fund um for grants for existing customers and i think we've talked in the last two weeks about the importance of looking after existing customers and this is giving back literally um, and also Facebook are doing it and they've launched a Facebook business boost grants page where you can apply um, for funding with them so again you know obviously encouraging you to spend the money with them and do it but it could be a way that people can help themselves by trading out of this so I think you know great examples. Uh, not insignificant ones either. I think the MailChimp fund is $10 million. So it's not just a sticking plaster. It's a significant amount for, as we know with MailChimp, a technology that is used by a lot of brands, business to business and business to consumer and, and normally smaller businesses. Um, it's bang on in terms of saying, look, let's help. Let's not give you um, some kind of vacuous, uh, un- unemptied answer. It's genuinely something that could really keep a business going. So this could be a bit of a rallying call for others to to follow their lead. Yeah, indeed. It'd be interesting to see whether they do follow, um, not, you know, in a, in a positive me too, if you will. It's interesting on the technology front as well, because obviously they're all technology providers. And as I've alluded to with the HubSpot example, it's a clever way of probably building that longer term loyalty. Something we've talked about on previous episodes that if organisations do well by their customers now, it, it's surely going to serve them well for the future when things get back to some kind of semblance of normality. I think it's a very smart move in this particular space because MarTech at the moment, um, and it's been a theme of a couple of industry conferences, is definitely suffering with uh, bloat. In Mm. other words, we've all gone out, we've bought lots of tools. And I think what's really interesting is there's this opportunity to take this time now to reflect on, do we need them all? And obviously, HubSpot are positioning themselves to say maybe you don't maybe you could you know get rid of two of the platforms and use more of the functionality that we offer and slim down your backbone yeah it's a good point around that rationalization um I was at a conference oh probably 10 years ago American uh, investor and speaker Peter Shankman described this so I, I must align it to him but he's he talked about how marketers have 
what you may call ADOS. So we're familiar with ADHD and attention deficit hyperactive disorder, but he coined it as attention deficit, ooh, shiny. And that certainly has been the trend for a lot of marketing departments with technology is we buy a lot of it and we don't always make the most out of it. Completely. And I think um, another person in this space who really speaks well about what do we actually need, Adam Sharp from Clever Touch, defined last year um, at the Get Stack conference the need to have a strong spine, you know, really understand what your core is. So good time to do some housekeeping around what you need in your technology tools for marketing. Yeah, well, it's always a good time to do housekeeping, but we never get round to it. And actually, it's interesting, Shane, I spent some time earlier in the week speaking to Ruth Connor. Uh, so Ruth is a number of things, as, as you well know. She's on the B2B council of the DMA. Uh, she's the marketing director at Calibrate, but she's also a tutor like you and I. So I chatted to Ruth earlier in the week to ask her whether housekeeping is something that's really important right now. Yeah, I think this is a really good point. And I, I bet we've all got kind of lists in our home life of jobs that we would do if we had the time and I spoke to one of my colleagues at the start of the week and he'd he'd I don't know he'd, he'd planted a basil plant and he'd painted this and he'd emptied that cupboard and so I, I think there's probably a, a similar list from a work point of view of, of jobs that we would like to do if we had the time and and whenever I deliver my training courses there's always a few things that always come up that that seem a bit unattainable in the kind of uh, rush of the day to day and moving on to the next campaign or the next project and, and so typically I kind of see people don't always have the time to invest in really defining who their target audience is so I think now would be a good time to kind of refine your target audience uh, and your segmentation um, you know I, I don't think generally as marketers we spend enough time on that and it can be really helpful when it comes to developing your kind of tactics so I would maybe go back and revisit your segmentation. That's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because And it links back to, to something else we were talking about around how markets are changing. So I guess it's also worth bearing in mind as, as things do return to that normality that we talked about, you might find you've got new customers or new prospects to consider uh, because of the fact uh, new markets have opened to you. So do, do, you, do you kind of envisage time spent on historical what our customers look like versus actually we need to plan for our new customer base our new prospects might be once we are back into that into that normal world i think that's a really good point and i, and I think in truth you probably need to do a bit of looking back and a bit of looking forward steve in order to get ah. a holistic view of who you think your target audience might be going forward yeah great and, and actually it's an interesting one that you mentioned data generally i mean, I mean that's a, a little bit more um projective but are there any more basic housekeeping things and i'm thinking particularly if you've got salespeople or people that are crm literate that have got spare time any other basics that you think any organization could be having a go at right now yeah there are a couple of things for me the first one is i think a, a good old cleanup of your database and i think your database is a bit like your cellar your loft your understairs cupboard it's probably something that you regularly put stuff into but you very rarely take stuff out of so I think it's a great time to have to do some general housekeeping of your customer database. And the other thing that I think I see often goes overlooked is end-to-end uh, -end tracking and reporting. So uh, 
quite often see on my training courses, marketers get in the habit of reporting on the campaigns or the emails or the events that they've, they've done or attended, but they rarely kind of take the time to have the end-to-end tracking and a regular reports or dashboards set up. So I think now would be a good time to actually work out what would you want your monthly reporting narrative to look like and where do you go in your business to get the data to answer those questions that you want to be able to communicate. Um, That's an interesting one. I guess also, I mean, we know this as marketeers that there's always the pressure on us to justify our existence. Um, and perhaps once we do get back into into normal operation, that may be even more so. So being pre-armed with the reporting that says, once we do start these tactics, these activities again in earnest, and um, we know that we've got the reporting in place to, to prove that we, we've got value. That's a really interesting um, and a not very obvious thing to do, Ruth. And I think quite often what happens is we're, as marketers, we're very good at um, the vanity metrics, but actually it's the actionable metrics that our businesses are more interested in. And they're the, they're the ones that are harder to, to really put in place and to measure. So now's, the t- now's a really good time if you've got some capacity to, to look beyond the likes and the shares and the open rates into the more actionable stuff, you know. And I think that would stand you in really good stead going forward to be able to have a, a monthly dashboard that you could communicate outside of the department uh, that was really showing the value of your marketing efforts. And one that speaks the language of those departments rather than just is in marketing speak, I guess, as well as the other the key point there. Yes, that's something that I always mention on my courses is that um, a key thing around stakeholder management when it comes to marketing is understanding what's important to your stakeholders. So, you know, if your main stakeholder is the commercial director or the sales director, what things are they measured on? How does marketing influence or add value to those things? And they're the metrics you need to focus on and the narrative you need to focus on for delivering for that audience. Yeah, good. And, and turning that, taking that word audience, just rather than just externally, is there an opportunity to look at the external audience? We said there might be new markets, but just mapping what the journey looks like. Again, it's one of those tasks that feels for me at least of a bit like data. We know we should think more about where people might find us, the, the journey they take through the organisation. But is that an opportunity, do you think, as well? Yes, 100%. Really glad you brought this up. Um, I know Shane's really passionate about CX as well. So on on one of the courses... Well, well Shane, I'll be very cl- quick to tell you, like I would, that we did develop, and it would be uh, remiss of me not to mention that Shane and I co-developed a CX model called Empower about three years ago. Um, well, there you that's go. the only product placement we'll have recently. <laughs> But I think, I think this is another one of those jobs where mapping the customer journey end-to-end um, and what's happening now, where, where the things that aren't quite going right are, and try to identify them and understand what you could do about them. There's some really good digital collaborative tools for doing the equivalent of post-it notes on a wall. So you don't even have to be in the same room to, to, to facilitate that kind of workshop. But I think that's a, it's a great exercise to be doing now so that, you know, in preparing for the future, you understand exactly the end-to-end customer journey you're taking somebody through, what that experience looks like. If you can overlay metrics around not just the front end pre-sale, but post-sale and, um, you know, support tickets and um, how you deal with support, for example. I think all of that will really help you define an, a winning customer experience for the future. It's, it's a great job to do now. Thank you for bringing that one up.
so much really interesting stuff there, Shane. And as, as Ruth said at the end, that customer journey mapping, really important thing to do. But like a lot of it, data, that's the key thing. Surely that must be a big imperative for housekeeping for many of us right now. I agree. I think starting with data is so powerful because really underpins everything. We all know that good quality data uh, can give you amazing insight into your customers. And I'm sure you can reflect, Steve, on some examples, perhaps in the past, where the wrong data has led to the wrong actions or the right data has made you make some great business decisions. Can you think of any of those? Yeah, well, there's almost too many, Shane, to talk about. I mean, the, the, the common thread, whoever you are listening into this, you all, like we, like any organisation, have data that's not as strong as it should be. There's no company out there really that has that nailed. Therefore, it's a healthy thing to continually keep an eye on. But as Ruth articulated well, we don't always make the time for it. So this is the positive of the environment right now. Uh, yeah. Depends a lot on what you're doing. So at a basic level, if it's business as usual, making sure that you've got data in your perhaps CRM system, your marketing automation tool, wherever, wherever you're using that for outbound broadcast messaging, of course, this is a great time to say, right, can we just do a basic clean and audit? Have we got duplicates in the system? Are our bounces being cleaned out? Um, one of the most unloved metrics with email for me is the unsubscribe which is a good one to keep an eye on that says not only have you switched people off from a content point of view, but how much data have you got left? Do we need to think about a quality as well as a quantity of data? If we're also stepping back and thinking about new markets, which I, I think is a really positive thing for a lot of companies I've been speaking to, where they're finding that they are growing and new opportunities are coming, uh, things like penetration analysis have got to be a good idea as well. Yeah, and I think the problem is that sort of the word data audit can be banded around and it means a lot of different things to different people. And I'm, one of the things I'd urge everybody to do is eyeball the data. There is no substitute, as you say, if you want to understand your unsubscribes, actually looking um, at the people who have unsubscribed, what did they get, um, what segment of the data are they, you know, what communications did they have that drove that behaviour? Was it something, I saw an email on this uh, earlier in the week, which was basically, they were actually sending you to a landing page, which was an unsubscribe, not mm what they thought it should be you know so their unsubscriber is going to be particularly high on that campaign <laughs> yeah very successfully so um if that's what they aim for yeah i mean it's practical for sure but i think you can also um and, and you're right data audit or, or data reporting can often mean many things to many people and and pure marketers are not always uh, enthralled by the idea of data but certainly my experience of running things like penetration reports which are quite simple to do Shane they're not as you know difficult that's to say take your customer database and match it against uh, an external database um, and a database that over the years might have been used to try and sell you lists but now actually has a very useful purpose to say how do we look on those global databases against things like SIC codes, so industry classification codes, which um, which industry codes are we selling to? Uh, and and again, you'll know this, Shane, having worked on it, every single time we've been involved in those kind of reports, um, you learn so much about what the business thinks is their, their, their strength in terms of the industries they're good in and actually what the reality is. And that can be a great way to uncover that you have an industry you're selling into, but you didn't realise. 
Um, and on top of that, it tells you how many other companies in that space are your prospects. So it's a great way of being able to retarget, possibly even into things like ABM as you start to get back into normality as well. Yes, and I think actually you can do both at the same time. I think what people don't realise is if you go to a, a data a provider like Dun & Bradstreet or Experian, not only can you get this penetration analysis, but at the same time by sending them data, um, they can clean it up for you. So remove all those dedupes, match it against company's house data, add those missing data sets that you don't have, and then report on it against, as you say, the key point is against the universe. So understand both what you have, but critically, as you said, what you don't have. So they needn't be separate things. Um, they can be done as part of the same, if you like, project. Although a word of caution, um, I think there's temptation sometimes when we talk about housekeeping and we see it as a, a one-off, um, it shouldn't be. This is should be about understanding your data, where the processes are creating bad data. That's really important because you need to fix the process because otherwise you'll go off, you'll do your data audit, you do your data clean up. And guess what? In six months time, you've got exactly the same problem again. So it, to me, doing it as a separate activity doesn't work. No, it's a really good point. I think it's a culture rather than a one off project. If, you, if you've got a business that's very data centric, it, it becomes an ongoing process. Um, and a, the, the problems often encountered are the out of date data. So your point's a really good one that if you're going to do the two, it makes perfect sense to do them together. But you must start with clean or reliable data. There's no point modeling on data that's out, old or out of date. You're suddenly going to find that, of course, your, your targeting's all off. Um, the other thing, by the way, is that um, it can be a really useful way as long as you're willing to change. So I, I've worked with an organization that done this uh, in the past where what it told them is they're very good at selling to certain types of organizations, but there weren't many of them left. And this might point to new opportunities, but only if you're also to willing to change your proposition or even your product in their instance, that their market was in decline, their new potential market was huge, but they just didn't have the product offering. And therefore, I think, and our recommendation was not to go too actively in there until you've got your house in order uh, to get your product and your messaging right before you try and attract those new uh, non-lookalike prospects. It's such a key point. You know, new markets don't necessarily want what you have um, and having to be ready for that. And often that does mean for B2B particularly, who've been selling into large enterprise, who get very seduced suddenly when they see the size of the SME, um, but haven't got an appropriate offering, haven't got e-commerce in place. And you're right, you need to fix all of that first. But good data can help you make great business decisions. Um, and the ones who are using it now and are have that luxury of looking at their insights, saying what's different, what's changed, uh, are in a much better place. Yeah, I agree. And and even at a more tactical level, Shane, that you can start to think about if we've got that data in the in the repository in the right order, how do we then start to to use that out and about? So for the communication channels we've got, whether it might be social, email, direct, telephone, etc., we've got a much better uh, point to begin to then exploit those channels in the right way. I think looking at email data now and analysing it and really understanding what's changed 
will really pay dividends because there's no doubt about it. Everybody is sending more emails. So understanding the differences to say three months ago or this time last year will really help you make some better decisions. So I think absolutely, if you're going to start with anything, if you're using a lot of email, start with that now. Yeah, I agree. And actually, I was reading something that Comal from Pure360 wrote a couple of days ago, which is why I wanted to reach out and had a chat with her earlier today, in fact, to say, OK, with your experience, and Comal's the VP of marketing at Pure360, who are an agency that specialises mostly in consumer, but of course, she's a B2B marketer as well, so she can see both sides of it. Um, she sits on the DMA email council alongside me too. So I was easily able to reach out to her and say, well, actually, what is email practice? best practice look like right now yeah so um look at things like um so practical tips look at again it goes back to understanding your audience understanding your product understanding your audience um and what they might be looking for right now so it's time to change so it's time to change the subject lines if you're still pushing the same products um then it's time to rethink your um the the products that you're pushing um definitely subject lines is one area that i've seen um a lot of brands just still um using the same subject lines to promote that's relevant right now um did you think so that's fine. possibly because they're they're testing if they are testing is a bit out of, as you mentioned about personas earlier is now a bit out of date that uh, best practice testing uh, even a couple of months ago on subject lines, for example, is not going to be best practice in this this new no, changed I mean, environment. No, ex exactly that. And also things like automations, if you've got automation set up, um, it's time to go back to those automations and make sure they're relevant, um, making sure that the, uh, the copy is right. Uh, those um, band and basket type campaigns or welcome campaigns or anything that you have automated you really must go back to yeah you have to change the sort of the hypotheses that you're using for testing yeah it's a great example of just getting that automation and just housekeeping to ensure it's not biting you on the backside so to speak in terms of messages that just aren't right right now um, yeah, what about timing? Yeah. Any any thoughts on that in terms yeah. of, again, different working patterns for people that might affect sends? Yeah, so, um, well, from, from my perspective, so on a, on, on a B2B side, we just talk you through sort of where people are actually um, uh, reading your email. So not surprisingly, we, um, we had um, majority of our content um, and emails were being viewed on a desktop. Um, but now um, that has flipped. So now we're seeing mobile uh, usage has increased massively. We've seen timings as well. People are um, maybe working um, longer hours or different hours. So people may be working their hours early or late. Um, so really understanding that. And also understanding frequency and um, when when you should be set, sending emails and how often you should be sending them. It's all about testing. Mm. So um, you know, look at what you've been doing in the past and um, and change it up and test. You know, the most important word of all marketing. Test. Indeed, yeah, the one we know that's so important. And, and perhaps, arguably, the other side is marketers might have a bit more time to think about that testing. 
Um, yeah. What, what about the what, what does success look like for email now? What, what are the key reporting metrics? If, if we're not focusing on selling, um, are there other ways to look at how we might normally report on how email's doing for us? Yeah, so, I mean, we've talked a lot about um, all, all KPIs are going to go out the window right now. So, um, and dependent on your business, really, um, some may be suffering with um, an over demand um, and may not be, may not have the right supply chain to then um, to, to send products or you've got um, the other way around where demand is decreasing. But um I think that the KPIs need to really be um, aligned to the objective. So what is it that you're actually trying to achieve? So looking, re-looking at objectives, really. What's your plan? How are you changing that plan? And how are the, the objectives changing? And then those KPIs need to be to those objectives. So let's say Secret Escapes, for example, they, um, they have just recently changed all their emails into the dreaming phase. So there's, there's not a lot of direct response um, in terms of purchasing, um, but their emails now are all about engagement. So looking at, looking, you've still got to look at opens and clicks, but looking at the amount of time people are spending on certain pages, dwell times, I think that's important. So it's all dependent on the objective um, and the KPI that you have to change those accordingly. Yeah, it's a really nice example, actually. Of uh, There's so much doom and gloom around the travel industry, but those brands like Luxury Escapes, you, you, on your blog, there's a great few examples of where they're thinking about the longer term. We can still engage people. Still, people will want to go on holidays and be inspired. Um, yeah. It's just not going to be right now. So perhaps if you flip it the other way, it's that perfect chance to inspire people and give them that wanderlust. Absolutely. Um, so yeah. that they're ready when things do come back, that they're, they're, they're in prime position as a brand. Can you imagine how many millions of people, billions of people around the world are dreaming of their next getaway? And if you are a travel brand, not front of mind right now and helping with that dreaming phase, um, you're most probably going to lose out when we come out the other side of this. So um, for travel, um, it's, you know, it's tumultuous times for travel right now. Um, but I think you have to hold your nerve and you have to remember that consumers are still there and they will, when, when, when we come out the other side of this, travel is going to be huge, whether it's internal travel, whether, you know, or um, short haul, long haul, whatever we're allowed to do. Um, it's so important that travel brands are um, um, are still communicating and engaging with. Again, Shane, loads of really useful stuff in that, and indeed a few gremlins. Apologies for that, and you might have spotted that Steve is not an editor of podcasts; he just tends to talk. So that's my abrupt end to Comal there. But that last point, Shane, around the travel brands that's so transferable to any organization in any business surely yes it is because i think we you know have to think in b2b we might not be feeding dreams and being on able to send lovely pictures of a beach we'd all like to be on somewhere but what we can do is in terms of helping our customers is tackle practical issues today and prepare for tomorrow and i think 
one of the things that's happening, I and mean, we started um, the chat today with, you know, really practical housekeeping things, but is actually in your nurture journeys, you know, are they fit for purpose now? You know, they're probably not because what your customers want and need from you is going to be different. And one of the things occurred to me, and I know you've seen this in the past, but is that great classic use of the calculator in mm. the middle to end of the funnel. You know, how can we as a business save you money in current times or how can we make you money? Yeah, I think that's a direct or an indirect opportunity, i.e., how can we make you more efficient? So uh, in very simple terms, we work with a, a payroll provider as a client and we've helped them build quizzes and tools around what they provide, which is outsourced or software as a service for payroll and how they can show calculations of efficiency. Now, of course, indirectly, that's likely to lead to a, a reduce of, of cost base, but you don't always have to show a direct pounds pence return you can help people feel and see how they can just get more done that's a really valuable uh, tool set to, to consider when it comes to that nurture yeah getting more done with less resource particularly you know potentially less people at the moment with people being on furlough would be a brilliant way of uh, showing the potential of how you can help yeah, I think there was so much in the, the Comor piece again, and, and actually the measuring around understanding your, your KPIs, your key metrics, not just the ones that perhaps you've always been using. And when we say using, that you might have been sending off a KPI pack to somebody in the business and, and forgetting about, but having the right measures for the right activities at the right time, which is now. So what do you think some of those right measures are, Steve? Because I, I would agree with you. I think we perhaps need to change what we're looking at. Well, I guess if you're in an industry where you are more focused on things like lead generation, so with something like email, you're never going to get somebody to open an email, click a couple of links and place a £50,000 order. So I think your lead quantity is likely to, to drop. So those kind of measures further down the process are perhaps less pertinent than the more immediate engagement stats of something like email. So the ones that we're most familiar with, the open click, which normally I think we would use to give an idea that something's happening in early stages are the ones to really focus on. Um, and I mentioned earlier, the unsubscribe, if those three together, you're keeping a close eye on with email, and I think you can transfer the, those principles into other channels. So social doesn't, of course, have the open, but you might have the click or the, or the response, the share rate, those sorts of things that are we keeping people warm at the top and the middle of the funnel that are prospects, because we may not accept uh, maybe I would expect that they're going to come through as leads in this current environment. I think that's a key starting point. Yeah, and one that's just occurred to me with you, you mentioning that is actually one I'm always a fan of is looking at your hard bounce rate, but also not just looking at it, doing something proactive with it. Now, obviously, at the moment, you might be getting hard bounce for sort of technical reasons um, or other reasons. So what do you do with that data? Hard bounces perfect opportunity to feed through to a sales team to get them to reach out perhaps on LinkedIn and uh, just check in with that contact oh you know this email's coming back to me are you are you still there because they may not be um, yeah it's a, it's a really good point Shane I think um, and actually it leads back to that um, penetration analysis another really useful exercise between something like email and LinkedIn is to use your email list to try and work out how many of those people, whether it's all of them, or as you say, the ones that might have unsubscribed 
or bounced or whatever the response is, are they on LinkedIn? Now, as you probably know, there's two ways you can do this um, custom audience on LinkedIn. You could upload your email database into LinkedIn and it looks for matches. But typically speaking in B2B, it doesn't work. Uh, and that's for good reason. Um, like most of us, if not all of us, um, mine, I'm sure Shane, yours, your LinkedIn email address that you use as your login is a personal rather than a work email. So that's why it doesn't match very well. But oh, actually, mine is my work. I was going to say, as I said, it, I wonder you might be an exception. You always are in my experience. But um, the, the other way you can do it, which is a very useful way, is you can do it at a company level. So if you have a email list, people that have bounced, unsubscribed, whatever it may be, if you've got their company name and ideally their web domain, which will be after the at sign anyway, you can upload one or both parts of that into um, LinkedIn as a CSV document and it will go away and try and find how many of those companies match to LinkedIn. And then on top of that with LinkedIn, you can then use filtering tools to say, okay, of those companies, how many match these job functions or job titles? Now, of course, that's designed for you to then do advertising with LinkedIn, which you can do. But if you stop at that second stage, it gives you a really good penetration analysis on how many of these people are available to me on LinkedIn. So if you will, are socially connected. Yeah, it's an excellent tool. I mean, it's used quite a lot in account-based marketing and it really gives you an idea of how well you are penetrating into the accounts that really matter. Um, so yes, I think that's a really practical tip. Well, even if you don't want to use either for, for broadcast, if you will, it gives you an idea. So if, as you say, if you've got somebody who's unsubscribed from you and you can find them on LinkedIn, at some point, they're an opportunity to try and communicate with. But if you can't find them on either places, this might be back to where, as you say, you've got that idle sales or, or other departmental resource that might be able to do some, some desk or some telephone research at the right time to try and find them via a different means. Or perhaps, Shane, it might get us back to, again, when it's appropriate, when we're more at our desks, direct mail and other uh, more hardy um, channels might be the right way to try and re-engage those unsubscribed or bounced or, or lost prospects or customers. Yes, and I think back to sort of, again, the customer journey, of course, an unsubscribe is a very different journey to a hard bounce. So when we look at these terms, we really have to understand them and think about the cause. And unsubscribe is, I don't want to hear from you. So how you re-engage with those and tone of voice and how you encourage them to re-sign up, very different to a hard bounce, which may be a technical issue or somebody being made redundant and they do desperately want to hear from you so mm. thinking about that makes a huge difference yeah it's a really really nice point and hopefully some practical points that, that people can have a go at and perhaps report back to us um, now look we, we don't want to keep everyone forever so we always try and talk about what's coming next then Shane so what's your week ahead looking like where's your focus well, my focus, interesting enough, you mentioned LinkedIn, is responding to some proposals that come in completely cold um, to me today, literally. And so I shall be responding and getting out with some new pitches. Interesting. OK, good. So LinkedIn does work then in terms <laughs> of the opportunity to, to find people and connect. For me, um, it's an interesting one that, as I mentioned before, we've got uh, a lot of organizations, clients re-pivoting from events. So we were doing events in Q2, trade shows, exhibitions. We clearly can't, what else can we do? And we've been looking at digital opportunities and video particularly for them. But as we talked about on this one, 
before we commit too much to that, we need to think about the data. So my next tasks are looking at uh, a couple of data sets around segmentation and, and particularly personas. Are the personas that that organization's been using over the last six months the same right now? Or do they do they need to adapt because of the market and the dynamics that we're experiencing? Interesting stuff. Yes, indeed. So I report back on that and I'm sure you will report back next time we get together. So um, on that, Shane, thank you so much. Um, as a reminder to all, if you want to share the pod, um, then we are on www.podcast.co.uk. You can find Shane and I both on LinkedIn uh, or on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. Any suggestions on what you've learned from this, um, other topics for us, or indeed, if you'd like to contribute and be a guest, as we had Ruth and Komal today, who I'd like to thank, then you'd be very welcome. <laughs>